0: Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're talking threat pattern recognition, specifically for firearms training. Let's get into it.
1: Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown podcast on the Islet
0: Network, your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. and we're back with another episode here on tactical breakdown thanks for joining us man this is fun to put these episodes together for you i appreciate the hell out of you being here and uh, if you are new to this podcast welcome thank you so much for checking us out and hopefully you'll be able to get some actionable relevant content from this podcast that's the entire purpose we put this thing together and if you are a returning listener as always thank you so much for your love and support One thing I will ask, and I don't ask this a ton because it is a little bit of extra work for you as a listener, but I would appreciate it a whole bunch. If you could pause this podcast, go into the whatever player that you're using and leave a quick review. Uh, Just leave a review here on the podcast so that we can get... The most up-to-date information on what you are looking for, what you want to hear on the podcast, and really what's driving you to keep coming back. If you can do that real quickly, uh, no big deal if you don't, but it would help us out immensely on uh, guiding this podcast forward and and letting you and creating content which is targeted towards you. It's what you want to hear. So uh, check that out if you have the ability to do so. On today's episode, I'm talking with a friend, Joe Ferreira or some of you may know him as Little Joe. He is a legend in the firearms training game, uh, trained directly under Rex Applegate, if you can believe that. Um, I've had some fascinating conversations with him about those types of training that he was able to do back in the day. And uh, today's episode, we're talking about threat pattern recognition. And this is something that uh, came out of a long history of training. Um, of course, Joe right now is a, uh, a staff instructor trainer uh, with Human Factors Resource Group, or some of you may know that as PBCT before they rebranded. Uh, he's a former Fletzi instructor. He's a uh, current uh, deputy sheriff. Um, still active law enforcement. I, even though he has like 35 plus years in the game, he still loves what he does uh, and continues to teach at his academy and continues to, to work the street, which is just phenomenal and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world and hopefully you guys will get as much out of this conversation with him as i did so let's uh let's get right into this episode here with uh, little joe ferrera here we go hey everyone adam Kanakin here for Ilet network sitting at the Ileta 2021 conference with me a legend of the game little joe ferrera joe thanks for joining me man it's
1: you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great to be here, <clears throat> and it's great to be back at, at Ileta finally.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We, you and I have got to do a lot of work together over the last year or so, and it's nice to finally be able to sit down in person and, and uh, you know, talk face-to-face, something that we've been missing for a while, It was just nice. It's nice. You're here. You're back at Ileta again. You're also teaching. That, what is it that you're, you're teaching this week? What's the session that you guys are rolling?
1: I'm doing three sessions on threat pattern recognition and firearms training.
0: Right, so with that course, I mean that, people have probably heard that term, threat pattern recognition before, yes. or something similar to it. Yes, yeah. If, Can we go over that a little bit just to sure. set if, a if, tone? If you went into any good search
1: engine and put in pattern recognition, um, you would find pattern recognition information for all types of professions. Uh, technically, we call them domains. It's, it's where human beings function there's pattern recognition for taxi drivers and airplane pilots and human beings function based on pattern recognition that's what we do so with TPR what we've done at PPCT human factor science is uh, working with the federal government we did a bunch of research you've heard me we've talked about this in the, in the past you always want to do a task analysis you always want to look at what your people are doing and what's getting dangerous for them. In this case, we're talking firearms pattern recognition. So we would be talking specifically looking at how law enforcement officers are being assaulted with firearms. And the purpose in doing that research was to see if we could develop a system that would help us reduce officer fatalities from firearms. And once we started the the research phase of it, the investigative phase of it, and started looking at statistics from the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, the FBI's law enforcement officers killed and assaulted, uh, New York City Police Department's Standard Operating Procedure 9, and California Post studies, is we, in fact, did find a very specific pattern in firearms assaults against officers. Now, there can be rifle attacks from a distance. There can be ambushes. But what we found was a majority of officer fatal shootings involved extreme close quarters, 0 to 10 feet. And generally speaking, within the first one to four minutes of contact with the subject that, that assaults and, and shoots and kills the officers. So what we set was a pattern. That pattern was close quarters. And, and you can say, well, if you're a conservation officer, it's different. If you're a, a, a police officer in Wyoming, it's different than being a police officer in New York City. Well, all those statements are true. But when it comes to us being killed, it uh, more than 50%, approaching 80% of the assaults, a majority of the assaults, no matter what your badge or patch said on it or what the credentials in your pocket said on it, it was happening 0 to 10 feet. Generally, the majority within the first minute. But the second phase of that was within the first four minutes of contact with the individual. So once we have that pattern, and we recognize that that's the threat, thus the term threat pattern recognition, now we can develop a series of skills and techniques to either avoid that situation or respond to it because, let's face it, cops still have to talk to people. They still have to interview witnesses and suspects and, and uh, victims. There's going to be interpersonal contact. It's going to happen. And because of that, the, the crafty bad guy knows that, well, when the officer gets close enough... You know, when they're really almost at contact distance, I'm going to draw that weapon, and I'm going to assault them with it. Um, And they know that. They also know, and and people say, well, bad guys don't practice much. How are they so successful? At three feet, that, that close proximity negates skill. They're doing basically contact shooting. The other pattern we recognized was that a majority into the 90 percentile of the wounds we're in the face, throat, neck, and upper torso area, implying a high point of aim, but also implying basically that at three feet, they just stick the gun in our face and they pull the trigger, and we're shot. So it, it's a fascinating program to listen to. I've, uh, I've been very fortunate. I've already taught two classes this week. I'll be teaching a, another class right after we finish this interview. And uh, I've been lucky to have a lot of students here at, at IELITA this year. We didn't have the, the big numbers we normally get because of COVID-19. We were, we were uh, reduced in our students, but the people who are here are compassionate and very passionate about training. And so I, I've had a lot of good numbers in my classes. I can't complain at all.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you kind of touched on it there, you know, using percentages. There's a lot of people that have issues with programs because they say, hey, well, this isn't applicable to me. And it's like, okay, and you could just be, two things can be mutually exclusive. Just because it's not applicable to you doesn't mean that it's not going to be applicable to someone else. And, you know, I think there's a lot of um, people get hung up with different systems, or different platforms, different systems, different training methodologies, and they say, well, that doesn't work for me, then cool, then, then that's great that you can recognize that and you can adapt and change things or find something different that works for you but if we take when we're looking at statistics when we're looking at data and we're looking at science we say there are like we know there's no definitives it's here's a but we can make assumptions that if you are going to get into a gunfight chances are it will be at close range it's based off of statistical data it doesn't mean that it's going to it's 100% because we can't say that so when we train, it's like we have to train for the most likely scenario, and hopefully we can do a good enough job so that they can adapt that knowledge if, say, for example, you're outside of 10 feet or whatever it is. It's the, the, what we're teaching isn't going to be irrelevant as soon as that person takes one extra step backwards. And I think a lot, of, a lot of people have a hard time trying to figure that out in their own heads.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. In one of the classes this week... Um... I was talking, one of, one of my students said, Well, you know, what you're saying is statistically, this is probably going to happen. And I said, You're exactly here. Here's the key there's possible and there's probable. Okay. Is it possible right now that a 747 crashed into us through the, the roof of this building? It's, it's possible. Is it probable? No. But for the average law enforcement officer, is it probable? that your shooting is going to occur within zero to 10, we'll even stretch it out to 15 feet, and be probably spontaneous? And the answer is yes. There are spontaneous assaults on officers every day, all over the world, not just in the US, everywhere, Canada, South America, Mexico. There are spontaneous, unexpected ambush type assaults on officers on a regular basis. To compound that, now we add the factor that we're going up to a suspicious subject. Maybe they were looking in a car. Maybe uh, uh, in briefing today they told us, oh, look for this guy who's got a warrant out. And you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like that guy. I'm going to go up and talk to him. So now eliminate the ambush quo- quotient in this. Just look at the, the probability of us having to go up and have contact with somebody today as a law enforcement officer. And at that point, if they're a bad guy and they say, here comes that officer, I'm going to let them get as close as they're going to get because I'm not real good at shooting my gun. Uh, but if, if he or she gets within contact distance three, four, or five feet away, I can pull that gun out of my waistband, my pocket, the small of my back, or whatever, and just stick it right in their face and pull the trigger, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what the numbers show happens. Again, whether you're a park police officer, uh, a conservation officer, a deputy, a city cop in a huge city or a small town, The majority of the the killings with a handgun occur at very close range and very quickly.
0: Yeah, and I think like what you said there, the majority of that, the majority of criminals that will use firearms against law enforcement don't go to the range and train with firearms regularly. They're not competent on the weapons platform. They may have never actually fired it before in their life. All they know is if I pull this, it goes bang. Right? And so... It makes a lot of sense when you say that. It's well, why are they waiting to get so close? It's because they're unsure of if hey, I'm, if I'm this far away, I know I'm going to speak from the 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 suspect point of view. I'm going to assume that the officer is competent in using their firearm because they have it. They train it. We know that from a from a civilian perspective. We now <laughs> we. Un- Civilians think that law enforcement officers get a lot more training than they actually do. Amen, but, amen. <laughs> but there's still a level of competency there that's, that's inherent for the police officer, wherein for the, the assailant, they may not feel comfortable. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm 20 feet away. If I start popping rounds off, there's a good chance that I'm going to miss and he's going to hit me. So I'm going to wait for that high probability interaction where i know that if i'm this close to you i have a fairly i can assume that i'm probably going to hit what i'm what i'm looking at
1: yep again that that close proximity negates skill <clears throat> one of the things i ask in the class when i'm teaching it uh, and almost everybody in the class is a firearms instructor i ask them is there a, a technique that you can tell to your students i'm, I'm going to teach you how to aim this gun and i guarantee you of the time you will always hit the target you will never miss In every class I've taught so far the instructors say no there's no way you can guarantee that and I tell them you're all wrong it's contact shooting if I shove that gun up against you and pull the trigger I can't miss it's 100% accurate I'm not saying where I'll hit you on your body but I'll guarantee you if I'm shoving the gun into you I'm not gonna miss and you can say well if you shove a semi-automatic pistol into their torso it's gonna go out of battery the guns not gonna fire hey bad guys use revolvers Bad guys use all kinds of weapons platforms, derringers, all kinds of stuff. They can shove and shoot, and, and they can't miss. So their confidence is extremely high. They go into this knowing, I'm not going to miss because I'm going to touch that officer with the gun if I can and shoot them. So yeah. they have a high level of confidence for that. That's why your point is well made. If the officer can maintain distance, if they can maintain some barriers, if they can maintain some cover, now the bad guy's confidence is dropping, but the officer's confidence and competence is increasing because most agencies, when they have time, do practice shooting from cover, concealment, uh, you know, and out to the average agency in Michigan is going to shoot out to about 25 yards. So distance and time. Increases the probability for the officer to win that gun battle and bad guys know that they want to get closer now There's always exceptions you're going to get that a shot of the world some competitive shooter, some former military person who was an excellent shot what have you? That's not as probable it is possible, but it's not as probable based on the, on the science of it happening close quarter quickly
0: Well, I think that's why you see such a big push especially this week at, at this conference There's a lot of people Whether it's, you know, the uh, SLC Squared guys with the Combat Hunter program, what you guys are doing, and there's three or four other instructors that are teaching things like situational awareness, pattern recognition, things that, you know, we get wrapped up in this, well, I'm a firearms instructor, that means we're going to go to the range and I'm going to, we're going to put rounds down range. I just had a discussion before we hit record here with another firearms instructor and I said, you could probably run a full day, you could probably run a full week course where nobody ever pulls the trigger, realistically. Because there's so much more that goes into what would happen in a gunfight. The gunfight is this much. The precursor to the gunfight is what's going to decide what happens here. And that's what we have to start teaching. And, you know, I've testified under oath
1: in federal court on a shooting case where under oath, my opinion was punching holes in a piece of paper on a flat range is about 10% of what an officer needs to know to win a gun battle. I mean, we can teach children to do that. That doesn't mean a child could win a gun battle. All the tactics involved in that gun battle, like understanding that it's going to happen up close, personal, and quickly, tells us that in those first few seconds of the encounter are critical to read your bad guy. Um, and all those things can't be taught punching holes in a piece of paper. It's, it's Again, people get hung up on <clears throat> qualifications or, or training where i got to get these many holes in this little area and they're, they're missing the bigger picture, which is the psychological, the emotional, the, phys- the physiological components of actually shooting that gun.
0: Yeah yeah no i I always find that so fascinating. you know i had a, I had a really interesting conversation with with Lon Bartel earlier in the week, and we were talking about how often in a in an incident where an officer discharges their firearm, how often is there an issue if there is an issue, legally, ethically, morally, whatever it is, with that shooting. How often is it because they couldn't hit what they were shooting at versus should they have even pulled the trigger in the first place? Right? Yep. He, it's like as far as we know, there are, like, it's like I haven't heard of any cases where the, it was like, well, you shouldn't have shot him in the chest. You should have shot him or the, the, it's not where the bullet hit. It was why was the bullet going there in the first place? Right. And right. that's an interesting conversation to have.
1: Yep. And again, we're back to more of the human factors involved in that. It's not the sight alignment, trigger control, and grip. It's the, you know, what visceral response did you have to whatever happened that made you draw your gun in the first place and start shooting? Uh, You know, are you looking at the the totality of the circumstances? Are you soaking in as much as you can? Or did they just make a quick movement and and you were nervous to begin with anyway and and you overreacted? So
0: there's a lot of components there. Do you think that's something that is inadvertently built in on the range with the instructor? Do you think that's that response to stimulus is something that we have to be more cognizant of as instructors on the range? Because we're we're starting to create that myelinization within that officer where threat go. That's an issue. Yep. Yep.
1: On On a live fire range, unless you've got some excellent targeting systems, it's hard, in my opinion, it's hard to generate the threat stimulus that you need to drive it. So what do we usually end up doing? <clears throat> the instructor yells, gun. The instructor yells, threat. The instructor yells, knife, what have you. And that's, that could, again, it's possible that at a scene another officer yells, gun, uh, or knife, or whatever. But in reality, most of these encounters are one-on-one. And it's a visual stimulus. Occasionally, it's an audible stimulus, like a gun being racked, semi-automatic. The bad guy forgets the chamber around. The gun comes out. They got to rack the gun before they can kill you. But it's a, it's a one-on-one s- stimulus. It's not an outside party yelling gun or knife or threat, what have you. Uh, it's a very personal event. Uh, some of the studies I've seen over the years where they said, well, we studied this kind of reaction time or that kind of movement time on an officer. They, they weren't really testing what they thought they were testing because they weren't using an outside stimulus. They were telling the officer, when, uh, when you feel like drawing, draw and draw as quick as you can and we're going to see how quick you can draw that gun. Well, we don't initiate the draw in our profession. The bad guy does. We don't get to go, huh, huh, right? We're like, yeah, what's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Oh, God, it's a gun, right? And, so it, th- that variable changes everything. Uh, and, and then when we do use a, a threat stimulus on the range, it, generally speaking, it's an edge or face target where uh, you've know, you got targets on edge, turn it's a bad guy, you can shoot, turn it's a good guy, you can't shoot. Right? So it, it's a 50-50 shot. There's no decision making right and then after the target f- turns the first time the human brain says if it's turning to my left it's the, the bad guy and i get to shoot if it turns to the right it's the good guy i can't shoot and then at that point on it's really no longer a stimulus it's just oh it's turning left i'm going to shoot him oh it's turning right i'm going to shoot him back in the day those were awesome tools to use because all we had was a piece of paper stuck to a log you know behind the police station and that's where we shot it was part of the transition to where we are now. My humble opinion, we're at that point where force on force is the way to go. There are some super advanced now video simulators, like uh, Vertra, who just about surrounds you with the scenario. Again very realistic, um, a nice step forward, but in the end it's got to be force on force. It's, it's got to be human with human. Uh, In in our country, in the United States, Zuckel versus Denver tells us that video simulators are nice, but they're not enough. It's got to be force on force with stress to put the officer in that environment. And so there's case law that tells us we have to do that. And that's what we we need to do, not because a a court somewhere told us to, but because it's the right thing to do for the right reason, which is protecting human life. We don't want to lose an officer's life and we sure don't want to be the officer that takes the life of an innocent person that inadvertently, without thinking about it, pulled out their wallet and pointed it at us, and we decided in dim light that that was a gun and we had to shoot him. So it's, it's everybody wins, to use that, that new phrase, it's a win-win situation. The officer stays alive, and good people don't get hurt.
0: With the course that you're teaching this week, you've, and you're doing three this week, and you're here year after year, what is it that you want the instructors in your class to take out of, out of this session that they have with you, when they have time with you?
1: That's a, that's a great question. So I just made mention of the fact that, you know, back in the day, in the early days, we st- stuck a piece of paper or tin can on a stump behind the police station, and we shot a couple of rounds every year. And back in the good old days, maybe that's the way it was. And we've progressed through targets that can edge and face and go good guy, bad guy, and... We've come up to massive cool video simulators and, and force on force training. What I'm hoping my students do is they leave with some information that I've given them and it triggers something in their brain. And they say to themselves, what about this? And next year when I come back, one of them's teaching a class on a topic that I, didn't, I never even thought about. But they did and they're progressing mankind forward to be able to do better and better things when it comes to, in in our world, the application of force and and possibly firearms deadly force. So I'm looking for my students not just to take what I've got and go home, take what I've got and go home and go, what about this? Wouldn't this make it better? So, again, progressing the profession uh, and and progressing mankind.
0: I love that. And and Joe, it's... complete honor to be able to sit with you and and chat and discuss and you know we get to do this a lot um on camera we get to do this we do a lot of phone calls back and forth all the time so it's a hell of a lot of fun to be able to sit with you and and share a beer where we can and um excited to be able to do this with you moving forward and hopefully now that the pandemic is on a downturn but we'll we'll see what happens
1: yeah and and i totally agree with you it's awesome to be face to face with you for a change instead of looking through a, a a mac at you and uh as you know, we've been interacting with people all week, and it's just great. It just uh, I, I think we all got in a slump. The, I think the pandemic was tough on everybody worldwide. Uh, it was tough on a profession where interpersonal contact rules, um, both the good and the bad. You know, uh, Let's not forget that our law enforcement corrections and security brothers and sisters do a lot of good every day. They have a lot of contact with human beings that just need help. They're not bad people at all. They're just in a bad situation, and they need help. And it's nice that... We can, as a profession, just sit around and, like you say, share a beer, you know, uh, quaff a few root beers, do whatever we want to do, and just discuss things. And those discussions is, is what helps us grow. If somebody, again, gets one of those, you know, light bulb moments where they go, hey, what about this? And the next thing you know, they're the next big thing in, in training because they had a great idea.
0: Well, I appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with us, and uh, can't wait to do it again.
1: Me too, and it's been a privilege and an honor. Thanks, man.
0: Join the iLit Network now. Go to iLit.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.